some years ago now, I, I read a whole bunch of books that were talking about basically spending time being alone with God. And the, 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 the people that were doing it were saying, look, when you do that, you often have these big revelations of him. And I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm keen for that. Um, there was a whole bunch of people called the Church Fathers back in the day, the Desert Fathers, who um, would go literally into the desert to have, basically get away from everything else, to be alone with God, and they'd have these big revelations. So I thought I should try this because I would like to have some of what they're having. So I, um, obviously deserts in Watford are quite hard to find, but I did manage to find a nunnery that was not too far, and they had these huts that you could hire and go and stay in. And uh, I just thought, well... Go big or go home. So I, I hired this hut in a nunnery, uh, in the gardens of a nunnery for four days. And I'd also read a book about fasting. And I thought, oh, maybe I should do that as well, because that seems to be a great way of trying to hear God. But I couldn't do four days solid fasting. So I thought, I'll just eat one meal a day. I'll just eat lunch. And that will be that. And then I'll just be, you know, receiving all this stuff from God. And then I, um, so I remember it now, because Beth dropped me off and we waved goodbye and then I was left in this hut by myself. Um, and I did have, I'll tell you, some serious revelation. The first revelation I had is that being in a hut by yourself, hour after hour after hour, is mind-numbingly boring. <laughs> the second revelation that I had in my time away was that when you're only eating one meal a day, and that meal is lunch, you do spend a lot of time thinking, is it lunchtime yet? Um, <laughs> A third revelation uh, hit me when I was talking to, over lunch, I was talking to a nun, uh, and I just, I'd been there for 48 hours and it was killing me, and I just said to her, how long have you been here for? And she said, 60 years. Um, and, I, and I thought, man, we need to plan some kind of escape. The two of us can team up together. I'll take you with me. You know, we'll break out together. And at that point, I had a revelation that this spiritual retreat was not quite as spiritual as I'd anticipated it being. And I, could, I literally couldn't hack it. I quit. After three days, I rang Beth. I said, come and get me. And she picked me up and she said, where do you want to go? And I said, I want to go for a curry and a beer. Um, so I did. So I came home feeling like an absolute failure, to be honest, and saying to myself, I'm never doing that again. Uh, you know, all this nonsense about silence and being alone and, you know, like it's not for me. Um, but after I calmed down and reflected on perhaps the fact that maybe I was a little ambitious in my practice, you know, it's the equivalent of someone who can't walk a mile deciding they're going to run a marathon, um, I've actually realized that there is, there is a real nugget that we don't want to throw away, even if we maybe sometimes have an unwise uh, way of putting it into practice. There's something, I think, profoundly important for us in the truth that we are to be, as his people, at times alone with God. And uh, come to a place where we quiet all the other noise and everything else but his voice. Um, so be at peace. I'm not about to suggest that we pack in our jobs and we all head for the nunnery. Um, but what I do want to, I suppose, reflect on together is the fact that I think this is a practice that is more important now than ever, more important at this time with everything that's going on in our world than it's ever been. And there is a way of learning to do it in the midst of the hustle and the bustle of our lives that will breathe life into everything else that we're doing, the practice of being alone with him. And uh, in the Bible, you know, we started this uh, service, although most of you weren't here, um, but we started this service with Psalm 46. And Psalm 46, I've just been reflecting on that recently because uh, in the Psalm, it, 
it kind of talks about uh, a world of chaos. And so one of the verses describes the world the psalmist is in. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. Doesn't say anything about prime ministers, but not a lot seems to have changed since that song was written. Nations are in uproar and kingdoms fall. Uh, Food prices are soaring, energy bills are rising, and uh, we're seeing, you know, I saw a tweet just a couple of days ago where somebody said, my bottle of shampoo is about to be on its third prime minister. (laughs) And we are living at a time where people can tweet things like that and they're actually factually accurate. So um, the psalm talks about the fact that, you know, this is nations are in uproar, kingdoms are falling. But the person who, who, for all the chaos, the person who is writing the psalm is full of confidence. And they say in verse 2, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. And the reason for that absence of fear is the presence of God. And so they say in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. The difficulty for us is that in the midst of the noise and the chaos and the 24-7 stream of news that we're bombarded with every single morning, and in the middle of our own fears about relationships and about work and about health and about finance, uh, it can be really hard to come back to this truth that he is our ever-present help in times of trouble. And yet there's a verse that is probably the one that makes this psalm famous, and that's really all I want to talk about this morning. And it's verse 10, where God says in the psalm, be still and know that I am God. Um, That's the practice I want to suggest that we cultivate in our own lives in, in the weeks and the months ahead. The practice of being still and knowing He is God. Um, I don't know how many of you are into football, but Erling Haaland is the current sort of like legend in the Premier League at the moment. Since he's arrived from Man City, he has been scoring goals left, right and centre. And uh, occasionally when I sit down to watch uh, a match like that and I see him score a crucial goal at a crucial moment in the match, I like to think that were I to have been signed by Man City, I too could have scored in that particular moment. Uh, And sometimes I can kid myself into thinking that. And lots of us can. I could perform like my hero if I just had this and that and the other. And we think we'll be able to perform in the moment, but the reality is Erling Haaland and all the other players, what they're doing is it's not just they, they perform on the pitch. What's going on off the pitch is what means they can perform on the pitch. And what's going off the pitch is a whole lifestyle that is geared around diet and it's geared around training and it's geared around the recovering well. And it's, They've got all these habits that they are drilled to, to do so that when the final crucial moment comes and the ball falls at their feet, they're able to perform in that moment. And as, as a, as a uh, certainly in my imagination anyway, I like to think that I, could, I could be the hero in the moment but not worry about any of the lifestyle, any of the training and any of the other factors. And the same can be true when we look at Jesus. So we see Jesus and we think, I've got to live like Jesus. And so in the crucial moment, I'm going to have compassion. At the right time, I'll choose to forgive my enemies even while they're torturing me. I will at this moment do what the Father says, even though it doesn't make a lot of sense. We look at that and think, I'll do it in the moment. But sometimes what we can do, and we, it's always and only ever grace. Uh, and we are transformed by the power of the Spirit. And without Him, we've got no chance at all. At the same time, 
what we see in the life of Jesus are certain practices, certain habits that, that he, he chooses to do because they are important. And what, what I suggest for us is, if, if we can learn some of these things that he does, it will help us in the big moments. But without practicing some of the, 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 the life choices that Jesus makes, we're going to struggle to step up in the big moments. And one of the things that he does as an absolute priority, and you see it all the way through his life, is he practices silence and solitude. He will regularly go and find a place where he can be alone with his father. Now for him, because he was in the Middle East, it was the desert most of the time. The Aramos, the quiet place. And we see that after he's baptised, the first thing he does, whereas I would be like, okay, now we're going to, you know, the firing gun's gone. Let's go do stuff. He goes off for 40 days in the quiet place. Then he comes back, if you read in Mark chapter 1, and he has this full-on intense day where he's healing people and he's teaching and then he wakes up very early in the next day. And whereas we might wake up and think, I'm going to have a, you know, a nice slow morning because I've just had a really busy day. He wakes up and he goes again to find a quiet place. There's 40 days in the quiet place, one day of intense activity, followed by another little stint in the quiet place. We see that after John, his cousin, is, is murdered, he goes to a quiet place. Before he chooses the 12 disciples, uh, he goes to a quiet place. When he's facing his greatest test, the test of the cross, it's to a quiet place, Gethsemane, that he heads to wrestle with his father and to try and find strength to face the challenge. You can't face the cross unless you go to Gethsemane. And we can't deal with the challenges that we are facing in our own lives, even in normal times, but especially in these times. If we avoid going, I would suggest to the quiet place. And one question to ponder is what happens? So we talk about being still with God. Be still and know that I am God. What happens in the quiet place? The best way I've ever heard it described is by Ruth Haley Barton. And she talks about how if, you were to, if I was to get a, a, gla a pint glass, go down to the local Watford River and scoop out a whole load of water and then just put it on a table here, what would we see? we see this glass full of dirty water, a glass full of sediment, dirt, and goodness knows what else is in the Watford rivers, you know, just swirling around in there. And if we just sat it there, that's what it would look like for a while. And then what would happen is the law of gravity would take effect. And all those bits of dirt and sediment slowly would sink to the bottom. And that glass, which before was murky and unclear, suddenly would become clear. We'd be able to see it. And in a way, our lives are a little like that glass of river water. We've got all these emotions swirling around in us. All these thoughts ricocheting off the inside of our skull. And it feels frantic and it feels hectic. And often we don't even understand what we're feeling. And what can happen when we come to a place where we are just choosing to be still. And we're going to talk practically a little bit about how we do that. But when we come to a place where we're choosing to be still, what happens is after a while, the law of spiritual gravity, as it were, takes effect. And lots of this stuff that is swirling around in us, it begins to settle at the bottom. And it's as though the waters of our soul become clear again. It's as though we, as Chris just mentioned, we, we see clearly that which we've missed because all the stuff in front of us is, is, is too overpowering. And in this place, 
it seems like God loves to speak. So he speaks to us through his word, ultimately. Um, But what we see in the word is this thing about how it's almost like he loves to whisper to us. And I want him to shout. I'm sure you do as well. But he just almost, it's like he prefers to whisper. And so what we find is when we do make space to be still with him, after a while, we'll begin to hear him. And we can think the problem is he's not speaking. The problem most of the time, certainly for me anyway, is that I'm not listening. And, and this is the place where in the stillness we can begin to listen. So again, I find it helpful to think of it like this. I remember hearing a story, it's probably apocryphal, but about a farmer who had uh, an old-fashioned watch. And one day when he was sorting out his hay and doing his baling, he lost the watch somewhere in this giant mound of hay. And he spent hours and hours trying to find it, but in the end he gave up, he just couldn't do it. And so he, um, he went home for dinner and his little boy said to him, what's up, dad? And the dad said, well, I've, I've lost my watch, I couldn't find it somewhere in the hay. And his son said, well, I'll go and find it for you. And he said, don't even bother, you'll never be able to do it. I've just been looking for it for hours. And the son said, no, I reckon I could do it. And he runs off to the hay bale. He comes back half an hour later holding the watch. He's found it. And the dad says to him, how on earth did you manage that? And the boy says, oh, it was actually easy. I went and I lay on top of the giant pile of hay. And I just lay there really still. And after a while, even the sound of my own heartbeat slowed down. And then in the quiet, I could just hear tick, tick, tick. And I found it. Listening to his voice, it, it so often it seems like that's how he speaks. And so what's loudest is so often all the noise that, that we're feeling and that's coming at us every single day. And this is where there's a place for a discipline of choosing to step out of the wind, so to speak, into a shelter to be still and to listen. And what we'll find as we do that is that he begins so often, I think, uh, the way that he speaks to us is he reminds us of things that we knew we just forget. A lot of the time, we're just very bad at remembering. And he reminds us in our heads, but more than in our heads, he reminds us in our souls. And I remember hearing about this talk that um, was about Christian happiness. And the guy who gave the talk said he had three points. And he said, the reasons why Christians can be happy is this. Number one, our bad things will turn out for good. Number two, our good things, we can never lose them. They can never be taken from us. And number three, the best is yet to come. And that, that, that's truth, but we forget that. And so what happens is when we come to to him in the quiet place and we just still and we stop for a while trying to play God ourselves, trying to fix everything ourselves, trying to control everything ourselves, and we're just still with the one who really is in control and who really is God. What, What we remember is, first of all, that he works all things together for the good of those who love him, and we know who sits on the throne. And so leaders come and go in this world as well we know, but the leader who sits on the throne of heaven is enthroned forever. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And not only is he all-powerful, but he is all-loving. Not only is he all-wise, but he is all-kind. He's unsurpassed in his compassion. And he's the one who reigns. Ultimately, 
We see the army surrounding us, even though it looks like we're surrounded. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm actually surrounded by you. Remember that song? It's that truth. And so I don't know the answer to how this this agonizing problem in my life is going to turn out for good. And I can't see a way that that's going to happen. And maybe I'll never know in this life. But what I do know is who reigns. And the one who reigns assures me, and he's never made a promise he doesn't keep, that those things that are bad, he works for our good. So we sit in the stillness and we know our God. We sit in the stillness and we know that the things that are good can never be taken from us. And that the strength of the gospel is not only that those bad things we do, he cancels out so that we somehow come with a break-even balance sheet. It's not just that. It's that as well as cancelling our debt, he then takes our bank balance, so to speak, and just pours his riches into it. Riches upon riches upon riches. That he would call us by name, his daughters and his sons. I can't get over it. I get to wake up in the morning And I get to say to the Lord of heaven and earth, hey, Dad, it's me, your boy. I I get to, as to you, speak to the one who, who has beaten death, who sits enthroned at the right hand of God the Father, and who will judge the living and the dead. I get to talk to him and say, you're my brother. And know that he's not ashamed to call me his brother that he isn't ashamed to call us his sisters, that though we might lose things in this world, we will never lose that which is good and given from him ultimately. We can never lose it. We get to sit and know our God and know that truth. We get to sit and know that the best is yet to come. This is what it is to be with him. This is one of the things that happens when we are. We, we, it's almost like we, it's like catching up with him again. Oh, I forgot that about you. I forgot that promise. I forgot that truth. Another thing that interestingly seems to happen in the stillness is it's not just that we catch up with God, but also in light of the fact that we're catching up with God, it's as though we catch up with ourselves. Um, I don't know about you, but I sometimes find the pace of life and the, the sort of like head spinning franticness of it all can be so overwhelming that I feel like I, I drive off and leave my soul behind somewhere last Tuesday. And I'm just trying to survive and make do for a little while. And somehow, I don't know quite why, but in the stillness, it's as though our souls catch up with us. So you may know that Beth has been away for the last week and I've had the four boys um, by myself. And uh, it's been fun. (sighs) Um, No, it's been been a lot of fun, but I'm so knackered. Um, But one of the things I decided to do before she got back is tidy the house and make it look like I had everything under control. Um, and also, I got in the car, and our car is just grim. So I don't know what the inside of your car is like, but the inside of mine is horrendous. It's the sort of thing where you open the door, and this little wave of sort of half-eaten snacks just falls onto the pavement. And we have this um, car seat that is like a bench that sits across three seats in the middle of our car, and it's got four seats in it. So all the four boys sit in the little row uh, on this seat. And I thought, I'm going to clean this car, and I, for once, I'm actually going to do a proper job of it. So I got the Hoover out. And I thought, I'm going to clean. The, the, the seats have these little things that lift up. So I'm going to clean underneath this car, these car slots. There's four little things that you sort of lever out. And underneath these um, little seats, it was vile. I can't pretend it wasn't. I had to literally prise them out because they were stuck there with a lot of stuff that came out of the kids' noses. And so they don't want to move. And then you, you look in, you think, 
how is it possible that in gaps that are like this small, this much stuff has gathered? And there's like, there's every type of snack I've ever given my children was literally under there. Some of it was living. And it was like, you know, raisins and like there was all these 20 pence pieces that I found that like were crusted with like bits of flapjack and you have to like scrape the flapjack off to get them but it's a cost of living crisis so you can't chuck it away <laughs> so you just go through the pain and, and then I had the hoover out and it was working but it was working like what I have not been designed for this level of you know you need some kind of industrial vacuum here and I, it took me ages of like scraping layer after layer after layer there were these polos we play this game with polos where you have to suck, try and suck it as thin as you can before, without it cracking. We play that to try and keep them happy. There was like four or five polos that had been half sucked and were really thin and so very fragile, but somehow still intact underneath the car seat. So you go through that and eventually you manage to clean it. Now, what I want to suggest to you this morning is that your soul is like that car seat. <laughs> happy Sunday. And uh, what can happen is when we, when we finally decide, you know what, I'm going to stop. Because a lot of the time, the reason we, we, we have so much noise in our lives isn't just the culture, it's, it's we want it. Because we want to drown out the internal noise with a whole load of external noise. It's called distracting ourselves. And so we finally stop in the stillness and the quiet. And it's like we are like crunching off the top of the car seat. And I have found through painful personal experience Sometimes it's not very fun. So I remember having a, a window of time when I just decided I'm going to be silent and just alone with the Lord for a bit now. And, I, and it's like I pulled the car seat off and there was just all this stuff in there that was like I had just been ignoring. There was a whole load of anger. Um, there was, I suddenly realized that I was actually jealous of this person and that person, that I was envious of so-and-so. I remember halfway through the morning thinking, this is not fun. I thought I was meant to be with you, Lord. And all I'm seeing is just all this stuff that's built up in me. And, and, and all I could do with it is bring it to him in the end. And so I just had to, conf- I had to go through a thing. I just confess this to you. I repent of it. I'm sorry I didn't realize it was in there. Please deal with it, Lord. And what I found is, although it wasn't a fun process, when I left the room where I was quiet, it was like I left a burden behind me. And it's like what he loves to do in that quiet place is, if I can put it like this, Wash our souls. It's cleansers. And what I've realized from my little expedition in the car seat yesterday is doing this once a year is probably a really bad idea. Instead, I want to try and do this a little more regularly. The same is true with silence and stillness, being alone with him. And so finally, um, how do we do it? If this is something that we know, this is what we meant to, Jesus does this. This is what happens to us. We come and know him afresh. How might we practice this in our lives? Um, Well, one thing that's helpful to recognize is what stops us from doing it. And probably the number one reason that uh, most of us would give, certainly I give, is I'm too busy. Have you seen my calendar? Do you understand how long my to-do list is? What you're telling me is here is another thing that I have to add on to an already impossible list. Here's another bit of time I've got to squeeze out of my day. That's how we can think of this. And um, what, what I've been realizing is that's the wrong way to think about it. So don't think about it as like another thing we have to squeeze into an already overfilled week. Think about it instead. Like if I don't do this, none of the other stuff will be, you know, it will all be a lot harder. 
But if I do, suddenly what I'll find is things become easier. So, so Abraham Lincoln, one of the things that he's known for, say, for saying is, if I had six hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first four sharpening the axe. That's smart thinking. Uh, if you're riding along on a, on a long-distance bike ride and there's someone on this side of the road who's going the same way and you're on this side of the road, you might think, you know what, I'd really love to get in this person's slipstream, but I don't have time to do that because I've got all this distance to cover. That's, that's dumb thinking. Well, smart thinking is think, I can come over here, get in your slipstream, and suddenly the distance is the same, but it just becomes a lot easier. That's what we're talking about when we talk about being still and knowing God. It's, it's that we might function from a place of peace rather than scrambling around trying to find it. That, that we'd, we'd have a joy in the midst of the difficult situation rather than trying to control everything so that we don't have the difficult situation anymore, hoping that then we can be joyful. That it's, it's coming near first, understanding that from that, everything else um, just becomes easier. Does that make sense? So it's, it's switching our thinking on it and understanding it in that way. And then where do we start? So um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the app Couch to 5K, but it's, you can kind of get what it's about from, from the title. It, it, does, it says to people who maybe haven't done a lot of running before, the way not to start is by doing 5K. What it says is the way to start is get off the sofa and just run down the street. And then the next day, you just run a tiny bit further and the next day you run a tiny bit further. And so the way for us to start is to do the opposite of what I decided to do in my naivety however many years ago when I went to the nunnery. It's just to think, okay, how might I put this into practice in my life? Um, really simply, the first thing to do is to find a desert. Find somewhere in other words, that we can be alone with him. And almost the best place to start is to think about where are those deserts that are already in my day as it is? Before I add anything else extra in, where are those places that I can be still and silent with him? Is it in the traffic? You know, obviously it's tempting to put on the radio and to listen to a podcast, but could that become for me a place of silence and stillness where I'm just with him? Uh, if you really want to get serious about this, might I suggest trying to drive down Balmoral Road because the traffic lights there have broken and it's horrendous and uh, you will get a lot of time just to sit in stillness. Is, is it for me, you know, for me this morning as I was walking to the church, I just thought I was tempted to put some music on. I thought, no, I'm just going to, this, this can be my little window of opportunity. Is it when you, you know, if you've got kids just after you put them to bed at night, just take 10 minutes before all the tidy up stuff has to happen. Maybe before you go to bed at night, it could just be pop outside just for, just for a five-minute walk around the block. But find a little window of stillness. Then, once you've got that little window and you can work out, how can this become for me maybe a rhythm, a little regular habit, then what do I do when I've got the desert? So let's say I'm sitting in the desert, my equivalent of one, the car, or I'm sitting in the desert, you know, a chair that I've got in my house or a room that I can shut the door on. What do I do now I'm here? Is what to do. Be still. There has to be more to it than that. Well, it's not that there isn't, but we do overcomplicate it. It's just being with him. And in the stillness, there's lots of things we can do. We can pray. Uh, we can read the scripture. But what I'm talking about is very literally just being still. 
And I don't know if you've seen that cartoon, Mike's mentioned it, the Charlie Brown one with Snoopy, where he's sitting there with Snoopy and he says, uh, sometimes I sits and thinks. Sometimes I just sits. It's just coming and just sitting with him. And what I find when I do that is not that this romantic silence descends upon my soul and I have these wonderful moments of revelation. Usually what I find is my, my mind is like a banana tree full of monkeys going brr, 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 and all the stuff that I haven't done occurs to me. And so I find it helpful to have a little piece of paper. And what I do is when I, I remember, uh, speak to this person, you haven't done that email, you need to do this, make sure you don't forget the shopping. I just write it down on the paper as a way of just, and then I just go back. And what we're not aiming to do is to, to empty our minds. Um, it's not about that. What it's about more than that is probably just um, attuning our hearts in the way you might tune in a radio, the old school ones. I'm just going to try and listen. Is there anything you want to say? If not, we're all good. We can just we can sit here for five minutes, ten minutes, and then, and then we'll go. And here's the third and the final secret. If the first is make a desert, just find one anywhere. And the second one is go and sit in it and just be still. Third secret is just repeat. If there's a key to it, and I am, I am not the expert at silence of solitude, but if I've been finding out anything, if there's a key to it, it's just consistency. It, it's not great, I'm going to go and be a hermit for the next two, two weeks. It's, it's just in the midst of the hustle and bustle of my life, I am going to find ways where I can be with you. And I'm going to keep coming back. I'm going to develop a rhythm. I know one person, their job was busy, so they would do it at lunchtime. They had a lunch break. Every lunch break, they would just go for half an hour and just sit in a church that was near where they worked and just be with the Lord. Uh, for me, it's, I found it really difficult with the boys. I'll be honest, if they wake up at five in the morning, it's kind of hard to get up before that to, to have some time with him. But I've had to try and find a way. When I arrive at work, the first thing I'll do is just close the door and just be with him for a little bit before I go about all the other stuff that needs to happen. I know some people, the way that they do it is they do it just before they switch the lights out. And you think, well, what if I fall asleep? Well, fall asleep in the arms of the Father. That's, there's worse things that can happen. You know, when my kids fall asleep on me, I don't say, wake up. We were meant to be having a conversation. You know, I, I don't mind. I don't think he's going to mind. But it's, it's just, I'm going to choose to pursue this consistently because what I know is I know in the midst of everything, I need to hear you. And the reality is, and this is a lesson that I'm, I'm just learning again and again and again, is it's not a one and done thing. Um, I really wish it was that we would come, we would know, be still and know him, and then we would never, ever forget him. But in truth, it's a daily thing. It's we, we forget all the time. And so we have to come back all the time just to remind ourselves and to be in his presence and see again that in the midst of the chaos, we can be confident that he really is the king. What I, what I wonder is, if we choose to practice this, and I finish with this, um, over the next week, over the next month, if we choose to practice it, what we'll find is that those little moments of stillness and quiet where we're choosing to not just run away from people, but positively choosing to be alone with God, what we'll find is that those moments become like the few drops of cordial that you add to a glass of water. And those few drops, what they do is they flavor the whole. 
And I, I more than just reckon, I expect that as we do this, we will find our days more and more being flavored with joy and flavored with peace, inner peace, and flavored with an awareness of his goodness. If there's one thing for us to be practicing now, it is be still and know I am God. It's not just a command, it's a promise.